you know, when I look at the most important biohacks, it's, it's what are the ones that help my body to be restored back to normal electrochemical balance. And many of these practices are the same type of practices that would also allow for better health of the mitochondria, which really, you know, the, the, the parts of the cells that really help you to produce cellular energy. Welcome back, everyone, to the Reconditioned Podcast with me, Lauren Vaknin. So today's episode was actually recorded a few months back because obviously the podcast took a bit of a break while I focused on other projects and my kids through the summer and some other stuff that required me to just take a step back and put me first, which was really lovely. So nice being back with the podcast, though. And obviously, I didn't take a complete break because I recorded this while the podcast was on a break, walking around Regent's Park with biohacking legend Ben Greenfield. I'd just seen his talk that weekend at the Health Optimization Summit, so it was really amazing to get some one-on-one time with him, to ask him all the questions I've always had for him, you know, like you read his books and watch his videos and listen to his podcast, and there's always so many things that I want to ask. I got to do that. So if you in any way want to optimize your health, this episode will benefit you in so many ways. So some of the things we discussed, parenting with a holistic approach, optimal daily routines, red light therapy or photobiomodulation, cold water therapy, sleep optimization, travel essentials and how to thrive when traveling, optimal exercise, diet and fat loss. I don't usually like to use those words. Actually, in that, I don't like to promote that that is something we should all be aspiring to. But in a health optimization sense, if we have excess fat and we want to live healthy lives. We want to maybe try and reduce some of that in as healthy a way as possible. And Ben tells us how that can be done. Now, our sponsor for this season is Sensate. And Ben talks about the Sensate in this episode, which was not planned at all. Now, I contacted Sensate after I started using it myself because of what an incredible piece of health tech this is and how it reduces anxiety and deepens relaxation and meditation. And then Ben happened to mention the product too. So if what he says speaks to you and you want to experience it for yourself, don't forget to check Sensate out at getsensate.com. That's S-E-N-S-A-T-E.com. And use the code Lauren20 for a very lovely 20 pounds off. So enjoy the episode. And as usual, if you enjoy this free content, a beautiful act of reciprocity, which is what my shaman calls Aini, would be to rate and leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or Spotify because it helps other people to find the podcast. So that's kind of you giving back and paying it forward. It really just takes a few seconds, but really makes a difference in, in how many people see the podcast and also as always I love it when you kind of interact with me on Instagram when I post about these episodes so feel free to do that thank you so much for being here hello (laughs) okay so we are I'm with Ben Greenfield and we're walking through Regent's Park which is not something you say every day (laughs) (laughs) I like walking and recording though it's so like especially for a health podcast or for health podcasters it feels so much more like on brand absolutely and i've i occasionally will get some people like when i'll record when i'm walking people like why are you walking we heard wind we heard birds i'm like who cares we're supposed to be out it's the same information it's just uh it's just uh, recorded well in the fresh air, in the sunshine, yeah, living always, a natural life. Always going to be a little bit of wind. We're in London. Yeah. I think I feel, feel like people will be able to feel the energy. Just so much nicer than sitting in a studio. Oh, yeah. The sound of children playing and, and birds singing and 
squirrels screaming and falling from trees. So everything. Nature. Yeah, nature. Amazing. Okay, so we're off the back of the Health Optimization Summit. Yeah. Um, and you did the most amazing talk. Oh, thanks. Uh, well, two of them, um, which uh, was pretty incredible. And there was so much I took away from it um, just based on... Okay, so let's start here. So what I took from you the most, obviously uh -huh. you're into health optimization, fitness, biohacking, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that got me was when you were talking about parenting. Oh. And, <laughs> but not just the parenting, it was kind of like being, life optimization, because I feel like yeah. in this world of health optimization, of biohacking, there can come a bit of arrogance sometimes and everything can be about the tracking and the numbers, the statistics. And you kind of brought right. it back a bit of that feminine energy and so i'd love you to just go into what you were speaking about there well let, allow me to claim it for the masculine among us too <laughs> i i think uh i i get what you're saying though when you say feminine energy it's like you know a lot of this this biohacking health optimization you know eat yeah. move be healthy it can be very yang right and uh, then when you look at kind of what might be considered the softer side of life optimization such as love and relationships. And as you mentioned, parenting and family and legacy, and really the reason that we do all this in the first place, you know, to be more impactful with whatever purpose that God has blessed us with in life. Yeah, I could certainly see that being a little bit more like a, you know, like a, a feminine kind of yin type of approach. But these are the things that, that, you know, aren't necessarily quantifiable. They're not necessarily the things that you directly feel via some kind of a, blood pump or a nootropic or smart drug hit to the brain or, you know, or, or, or an injection or anything like that. These are the things that, that feed your soul or feed your spirit, you know? So, you know, we talk about things like the spiritual disciplines, you know, meditation or silence or solitude or worship or prayer or devotions and the like, uh, you know, fantastic authors such as, such as Donald Whitney and Dallas Willer have written wonderful books about caring for yourself. Uh, spiritually, using a disciplinary approach similar what you'd, to what you'd use for, for physical or, or mental training. And then you've also got, of course, the, and I think I even said this during my talk, you know, the 110-year-old, the, the uh, let's turn this way, the 100, <laughs> you, I guess your listeners will be able to hear us weaving through the park, um, the 110-year-old, you know, gin-chugging, cigarette-smoking grandma in Sardinia, Italy, right. you know, who's a centenarian, despite her lifestyle because she's full of love, and relationships and family and perhaps even in that societal setting, you know, a more matriarchal role might be bestowed upon that grandmotherly-like figure so that there actually is kind of a life extension component of being useful as you age. And so, yeah, I, you know, every, everything that I used to do to optimize my body at one time in my life was really like either look at me, look at me, look at me, right? So, you know, I'm doing these cool things do the Ironman or the Spartan race or your bodybuilding or whatever. Um, or it was, um, it was, it was really based on, uh, on, on self-optimization just for the sake of the, of the endorphin rush and the mild addictive nature of exercising and eating healthy that accompanies that, that dopaminergic endorphin like rush that you get when you're taking care of your body. But now I've kind of changed my perspective. The only reason I really want to be healthy and, and, and fit and have a good lifespan and a good health span is twofold. A, 
I want to be able to, to maximize my ability to live out my life's impact, to, to, to be able to, to do what it is that I've been called to do with all of my might each day. And I know I can't do that unless I take care of my body, or at least I can't do that as effectively as I'd like, feeling as good as I like if I don't take care of my body. And then in addition to wanting to be impactful, I also think that a big part of living on this beautiful planet is just kind of like savoring all of God's creation, like hiking and running and swimming and enjoying nature and, you know, throwing a football with the kids, or I guess we're in England, so kicking a football <laughs> with the kids and, and, you know, and bow hunting and doing all these things that involve just adventuring. And really, I mean, if you take care of your body, you're also able to really just savor all elements of this wonderful planet that we live on far more, uh, 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 far more expansively, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and you spoke about impact there, which is something I was going to ask you. I guess, what do you feel your your impact is? What is your why? Why are you doing all it? Like, what set it off in the first place and has that changed? Because I guess you said that you started because it was more about kind of the rush of being fit. But what is your why now? Well, yeah, so, so your why, your purpose statement, despite being important to have, doesn't have to be static and permanent throughout your life. It, it's very, very likely to fluctuate and change as your interests change and as you enter a new chapter of your existence and as you get, you know, pulled in different directions or you feel called in different directions. Uh, one time, my purpose statement was empower, to empower as many people as possible to live an adventurous and joyful and fulfilling life. And that was a, you know, the wonderful purpose and sent me on adventures all over the globe to inspire people and teach people and push my own body. And then I became more interested in, um, in, in things beyond just adventuring. So then my purpose statement for a while was to, was to sing, speak, write, teach, compete, and create in full presence and selfless love to the glory of God, right? And that was another example of just like a single succinct statement that was my reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Now, uh, my purpose statement has shifted to faith and the family. You know, I'm working on a parenting book right now. I'm finding a great deal of, of fulfillment and also purposeful activity in being with my family and raising my 14-year-old twin sons during arguably a pretty formative time of their life when they need a strong father figure in their life. Uh, I'm also really feeling a call towards singing and songwriting and making music and also uh, building myself spiritually and learning more about God and learning more about about you know the, the the holy scriptures and learning more about prayer and so now right now my purpose statement is to love god through prayer and worship and to love my family through preparing and providing right and so that's my current purpose statement in life and you know and your own purpose statement's going to vary it might be you know things that you like to do when you're a little kid things that put you in the flow now or you know make make time go by quickly I think I even said during my talk, you know, do things that make you forget to eat and poop <laughs> as, as an example of a way to start to think about what kind of things really feed your life's purpose. But, but yeah, that's that's my purpose statement currently. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning is I want to prepare uh, and, and provide for my my family. And so that means like, you know, a solid 50 percent of my energy isn't in my business right now. It's, just, it's in my family, you know, I'm being with my family and going places with them and being present with them. And then another large, large part of my life is focused on building myself into being a little bit more of a, uh, like a spiritual warrior. And then a little bit of it is like business and accomplishments and my own personal adventures. But I put a lot of that in the back burner of late 
to focus more on, on faith and family. I agree with that about purpose kind of changing. My spiritual teacher always says that your purpose will change as you go on. And, and like with everything, we have to kind of be in this flow state, allow things to shift and to change and to expand, like the universe is expanding. So I really agree with that. Um, your talk was set around the day in the life of Ben Greenfield. I was self-aware of the, the narcissistic flavor of that talk here. Well, Look at me, of, what, everything think, I'm doing. But it, but it was used for teaching, you know. Absolutely. But I think people want, like, that is what people want to know about you. If you hadn't have done that, the questions at the end would have been, what do you do when you wake up? And what, do yeah. you do? <laughs> what time do you break your fast? And at uh -huh. what time do you do your sauna? Right. So it was amazing. Um, and I'd love for you to kind of take us through that a little bit. One of the first questions, well, the first question I usually ask on my podcast is, what have you done so far today to support your wellness? And with you, that's going to be like uh -huh. a massive long-winded answer. So uh -huh. maybe take us through a little bit of what a day in the life of yeah. Greenfield looks yeah. like in terms of biohacking, health optimization, life optimization. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, the, the talk took like two and a half hours, so there's no way I could do it justice. So, you know, I'm on a walk, and I'm sure people will be able to access the, the Health Optimization Summit lectures later on. But um, gosh, I mean, like, if I could, you know, you, you asked me, for example, because I'm traveling right now about what I might do to optimize my body leading up to this point in the day, you know, 11 a.m. On a, on a weekday morning, you know, especially being outside of my, my normal comfort zone scenario of home. Well, what I try to do as much as possible, whether it's my sleep habits or my eating habits, or my supplementation habits, or my spiritual habits. I like to take as much as possible with me kind of on the road, simply because it allows my body to be in a little bit more of a parasympathetic state. It allows me to, to kind of like create a somewhat familiar environment when I, when I travel. So I, I do a lot of what I do when I travel uh, is, is the same as a lot of things that I do when I'm at home. So for example, I woke up this morning, uh, I usually wake up to a really nice, uplifting song. You know, this morning it was one called uh, So Will I, uh, which is like a, a Hillsong worship song. And so I, I love to wake with this just beautiful song to kind of, you know, not emails and text messages and, and or even just silence. I, I, like, I like a nice song to start off the day. It just really gets, gets, gets my energy going in a really positive way. And so while the song is, is playing, you know, I get up and I, uh, I do some some uh, some oil pulling, you know, swish around oil in my mouth to take care of my mouth's biome. And, you know, when I travel, I can always find like a little bottle of extra virgin olive oil or coconut oil or whatever to buy at the grocery store. And I'll just use that for the oil pulling, which is nice, too, if you forgot your moisturizer. It works crazy as a facial moisturizer as well. And also, uh, if you if you if, if you're at a restaurant and there's not a expansive list of healthy things on the menu you can just order a bunch of vegetables and just drench them in olive oil so or coconut oil so it's a good good little little uh, uh habit that kind of stacks into a few different sectors of healthy travel life i do some some tongue scraping to, to clean up my tongue you know all these kind of ayurvedic practices to get the morning started and then i'll typically shake my body like some tai chi style shaking and some stretching some jumping jacks you just get the blood flowing for about 10 to 15 minutes and then I'll take some time just to check in with God, you know, do a little prayer. Uh, there's an app that I, that I like to use, you know, one that I used this morning. It's a three to five minute pause that just kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's called the pause app. And it's just like a little bit of carved out music and breath work and time with God. But it's nice sometimes to have the accountability 
if that's what you want to call it, of an app to kind of put you into that, that space. And so uh, I'll do all of that. And then uh, typically use the restroom. I even travel with a little portable <laughs> squatty potty that, that allows you to use the restroom more efficiently <laughs> when you travel. <laughs> I know it's a little fold out squatty potty. works perfectly. It fits, fits very easily into a, into a carry on. And, uh, and then I'll typically go do some form of physical movement. Like this morning I did super slow training, which is one big hard set to failure, you know, for like the chest press, the shoulder press, the, uh, the row, the pull down and the leg press or the squat, right? And it's a very efficient way to get a lot of strength training in a short period of time with a low risk of injury. So I went to the gym and the hotel and I did that. And I'll typically sandwich that strength training session in between some type of like an intense ride on the bicycle or the elliptical trainer or the rowing machine. So I'm kind of doing cardio and strength all in one session. When, when I'm at home, I'll usually do something easier, like a nice walk in the sunshine or a sauna session with a little bit of a cold bath afterwards. But I know when I travel, if I don't do like kind of the hard workout in the morning, it just doesn't get done because the day gets so busy. So, so when I travel, I usually do something a little bit more difficult in the morning. Uh, and then typically, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who does a, you know, like the intermittent fasting protocol. So at this point in the day, you know, it's usually 9.30 or 10 a.m. and I, I haven't eaten any food yet. So I'll, you know, go have a breakfast. And, you know, my breakfast at home is a smoothie. I, I don't travel with a blender, but I'll, you know, I usually for the typical continental breakfast is I'll choose like some, some mackerel and some smoked salmon and maybe a little bit of egg if they're pastured eggs and, you know, possibly a few blueberries or a little bit of natural yogurt or something like that. Just try and choose as many, many of the natural foods as possible. And then, um, and that, that's kind of, you know, the, the start of my day. And if I have a little bit of extra time, I do like to throw in uh, like a meditation session. If I can, typically, if time permits, I'll do that after I do that pause app and I'll just sit silently for 10 or 15 minutes and think about what I'm grateful for and who I can serve that day and have a little bit of extra prayer time. And that'll just depend on, on how busy the day is. Uh, you know, and in the case of, of today, you know, especially when I travel, I walk a lot. I take out my phone calls when I'm walking. Obviously, I do podcasts when I'm walking. And so, you know, I'll walk around the city quite a bit today. But, you know, my morning always consists of something like that, some kind of Ayurvedic self-care protocol, and then some type of, of shaking and stretching, some type of spiritual time, use the bathroom, then some kind of physical time, and then breakfast. And, you know, the, uh, the only thing that I should mention is that I mentioned that it's important to kind of take your environment with you on the road. But I mean, you know, for example, sleep last night, I put on the same sleep sounds that I do when, I, when I'm at home. So my body feels like it's at home. You know, in this case, I use one called a Brain FM. I use little biohacking technologies like I have one called an Apollo. It's a little ankle band that I wear around my ankle that vibrates to lull you to sleep. And my body says, oh, my ankle's vibrating just like it does at home. I must be in a safe place. And, you know, I'll even travel with a little blanket that blocks EMF that I pull over my body before I go to sleep. And you know, I do all these things to just make my body feel really safe and relaxed when I travel because, uh, the, you know, the problem is you can be very comfortable at home. And then when you travel, you just kind of go into sympathetic mode and, you know, and, and stress is stress is stress. So I always like to think about what kind of stressors my body might be subjected to and how I can manage those so I stay in just a little bit more of a, a natural parasympathetic flow state when I'm traveling. So that's, that's like a little glimpse of what the morning might look like. Okay, so one of the challenges I hear from you guys the most is how hard it is to drop into meditation 
or even to relax and just feel calm. And you know I speak a lot here about how our bodies have not evolved to manage the level of stress we're faced with today, which means we're constantly in fight or flight mode with our sympathetic nervous systems always activated, which we know leads to depression and anxiety and also chronic health problems. If we want to be well, we have to find ways to mitigate this. We have to do that ourselves. And I believe in merging natural daily practices with the kind of health tech that enables us to counter and mitigate the challenges that modern life throws at us. And the Sensate is one of those products and I want to tell you about it. So the Sensate is a small palm-sized device that sends infrasonic waves through the chest in order to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system, which is the body's command center. Together with the specially composed hemispheric audio within the app, you will literally feel calmer after only a short session. I give this to anyone I'm with if I have it on me, which I usually do, and everyone has the same response. It's amazing, and I already feel less stressed, and where can I get one? Now, I'm particularly recommending the Sensate to anyone who suffers from anxiety and wants to help calm the nervous system, those who want to deepen their meditation practice, and people who are looking for ways to be calmer and more grounded. Now, most of you know I work with a shaman, and he has taught me that our higher intelligence places ideas of health technology in the minds of those who can create and invent these products. And I truly believe this to be the case with things like the Aura Ring, the Soma Vedic, even diagnostic devices in hospital, and for me, I believe that to be true with the Sensate. We have lived for too long in a high stress state. We need more to help us counter that. So you can get £20 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E.com and using the code Lauren20. That's getsensate.com and the code Lauren20. Thank you to Sensate for partnering with Reconditioned. And now back to the episode. So what else do you do in terms of actual stuff for when you're traveling to kind of mitigate the effects of jet lag or being on the plane and stuff like that? Do you oh. take melatonin? Do you have like a whole yeah. protocol that you do? Yeah. So, so the jet lag management begins, uh, of course, for the several days before you, you leave to the new time zone as much as possible. If you can adjust your habits to the habits of the time zone that you're traveling to, that's better. You know, so when I'm traveling this far over to London, I'm, it's not like I'm going to get up eight hours earlier because I'm eight hours off of my time zone, but I'll get up a little bit earlier, right? And I'll go to bed a little bit earlier and I'll start to prepare my body. On the plane, you tend to get exposed to a lot of both ionizing and non-ionizing radiation. You tend to uh, get exposed to a lot more inflammation. And uh, you're, of course, also, you know, totally disconnected from the planet Earth, you know, 40,000 feet above the planet in a metal tube. And so you're not harnessing a lot of the positive electrical energy that the planet has to offer. And so to, to mitigate some of the effects of that, I, uh, I travel with this little, like, it's like a tracksuit that blocks EMF, right? And I'll just put that on. It's like kind of protects my whole body from a lot of the Wi-Fi going through the airports and, you know, a lot of the radiation on the plane. I take a few choice supplements when I'm on the plane that help to protect the DNA from damage and help to protect the cells from the, from the calcium influx that occurs when you are subjected to a high amount of, of electricity or radiation. And so specifically, when I, when I get on the airplane, I, I take some NAD, which is a great cellular protectant. I take a little bit of ketone esters, which are not only really, really good for managing inflammation, but also help to keep your appetite satiated so you don't have to eat the crappy airplane food. I take a little bit of magnesium, which helps to 
protect the, the cells from that calcium that I talked about. Um, and then I, I always take a lot of electrolytes and a few hydrogen tablets, right? So that's kind of my stack is NAD, ketones, magnesium, hydrogen, and electrolytes. And then uh, when I get to where I'm going, I make it a point to engage in what are called uh, zeitgeibers, which are circadian rhythm cues that allow your body to adjust to a new time zone a lot more effectively. Uh, and, and the three best ones are food. So I'll wait until it's the actual meal time in whatever area of the world I happen to be in to eat. So if I get into a place at 2 a.m., I'm going to wait till 9 a.m. or the standard breakfast time, wherever I'm at, because food helps you align your circadian rhythm. The next is exercise, right? So I always make sure I exercise. And for me, the first exercise when I get to where I'm going is usually outside sunshine, barefoot or water, anything that kind of grounds me back to the planet Earth, even just finding you know, someplace outside of the hotel to go do a little yoga or just, you know, walk a few laps barefoot or find a, find a, a nearby park. And then uh, in addition to food and exercise, the last Zeitgeber is light. And so I blast myself with as much natural light as possible in the morning. And of course, I eliminate a lot of the bright light at night, but I'll travel with, you know, in-ear light producing device like the human charger or light producing glasses. Uh, there's a good set called the Retimer. And the reason I travel with those is because sometimes it's not sunny when you wake up in whatever area of the world you travel to, or you're in meetings and you're unable to get outside into the sunshine. So I'll use those to kind of stimulate my body with light. And, you know, between those kind of strategies on the airplane and then doing the food, the light and the movement when I land, I typically feel pretty good. You know, it's still, you know, I, I won't lie, everybody gets jet lagged, but the more you can do to, to manage it, the better. And then to finish this up, you mentioned melatonin. Well, there's, there's three things I use to help me sleep when I travel. One is, is actually a sleep supplement that I designed called Keon Sleep, and it's a blend of like theanine and 5-HTP and, and GABA. And then I'll use a little bit of CBD, and then I'll use a lot of melatonin. Like I'll take a ton of melatonin on the first night of wherever I get to where I'm going, like 500 to 700 milligrams, wow. which is a boatload. There's actually a, a slow release form that you can take in a suppository which is what I do. It's literally just a melatonin suppository that slowly, slowly brings it into the system. And, uh, and so I'll, I'll put that up my butt, literally, like, uh, you know, about 20 minutes before I go to bed. And man, that just resets the circadian rhythm. And, and melatonin is also a natural anti-inflammatory. So I'm also combating some of the inflammation again. So yeah, that might sound like a lot of stuff. But I mean, once you get used to managing jet lag in that fashion. It's just like brushing your teeth. Like you didn't think about the stuff. You just kind of do it when you travel. Obviously, you mentioned a lot of product a lot of the time. And um, I guess we all do. But when, if people kind of are listening to this and it can be a bit overwhelming with all the products that you recommend, what are your kind of top um, biohacks or gadgets or products, whether that be like the sauna, the Apollo, mm -hmm. the ice bath, you know, yeah. what are your top things? Yeah, I would say the top things that I do all return to the concept of the human body being a battery, right? And there's great books about this, like The Body Electric or Healing is Voltage by Jerry Tennant. Uh, the Body Electric, I believe, is by Robert Becker. But these books get into the idea that, you know, our, our, our cells, you know, back to that calcium leakage I was talking about on the airplane, which is a positively charged molecule. You know, our cells are designed to have a more negative charge on the inside and a more positive charge on the outside. And any time that that electrochemical balance uh, becomes disrupted, 
it disrupts cellular metabolism and can cause things like you know poor sleep, brain fog, poor energy levels, etc. Because your battery is essentially drained, you know, to describe it in very simplistic terms. And so, uh, so you know, when I look at the most important biohacks, it's, it's what are the ones that help my body to be restored back to normal electrochemical balance. And many of these practices are the same type of practices that would also allow for better health of the mitochondria, which really, you know, the, the, the parts of the cells that really help you to produce cellular energy. And so uh, I would say that the biggies would be some form of grounding or earthing or what's called pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, which is basically harnessing the same type of low level Hertz frequencies, like about three to a hundred Hertz that are naturally emitted by the planet Earth and that you would naturally come into contact to when you're you know, touching trees or rocks or outside barefoot. And you can use certain biohacking technologies to concentrate those same frequencies, even if you can't get outside, if you're in the comfort of your own home. And so, so you have grounding and earthing mats uh, and some type of pulsed electromagnetic field technology. That's really, really great for charging up the body. Another one that I do a lot of is light. I use a lot of infrared light, you know, these infrared light panels that just bathe the body and and healing spectrums of, of, uh, of red light, of near-infrared light, and of far-infrared light. It's based on a, on a scientific concept called photobiomodulation, meaning that photons of light can actually help to stimulate energy production in the cells and can even help with things like you know, thyroid balance and testosterone production and collagen and elastin health of the skin. And so I'll do a lot of light, of light play as well. Um, heat and cold, you, know, you mentioned the sauna. Heat and cold are, are two practices that I do on a regular basis throughout the week. So I have a cold tub and I have a sauna and that allows my body to become more resilient to stress and to grow stronger as it encounters things that, you know, based on the concept of what's called hormesis would kill you in large amounts, right? Like, like trying to trek through the Sahara desert or stay five hours in a sauna would be damaging to the body, but short bouts of heat stress are very, very beneficial to the human body as are short bouts of cold stress. And, and the cold stress really helps with your nervous system balance and you know, inflammation, help with recovery, and sleep, and body temperature. And, and then um, a couple other things that I would consider for, uh, for, for maintaining the natural electrochemical balance of the body would be really, really good, clean, pure water. So you know, I start every day with 32 ounces of a giant glass mason jar of water, but I put electrolytes in it and I put uh, I put baking soda in it. I put vitamin C in it. So adjusting the, the acid alkaline balance and I drink that giant glass of water and I'll even put the same hydrogen tablets that I talked about that I'll use in the plane. I'll, I'll put those in the, in the water that I drink in the morning. And then I repeat that typically in the mid afternoon. So I'm getting at least two huge glasses of, of kind of uh, supercharged water during the day. And the important thing is that I also not only put the electrolytes and the minerals into the water, but I'm constantly salting my food and using electrolytes throughout the day because these minerals, back to the concept of a charge, you know, electrical charge, are what carry the charge throughout the body. And so by, by keeping minerals coming in, I'm able to, to really maintain good energy levels. And a lot of people say, oh, that salt's bad for the blood pressure. Well, it's true, you know, isolated sodium chloride, as you might find in the average table salt, or the average, you know, heavily packaged food where it's used as a preserving agent. Yeah, that's not so great for blood pressure or for the, the acid alkaline balance of the body, but natural sources of complete full spectrum minerals, you know, that's a whole different story. And that actually 
helps out a ton, not only with blood pressure, but with you know the, the adrenal glands and the minerals that they require. And again, the charge that you're able to carry through your body. And so I would say the, the top things I do uh, would, would be the grounding, the earthing and the electrical frequencies, the light, heat, cold, water, and, and minerals, you know, besides just moving and eating healthy. Yeah. So for those listening in the UK, um, we use Celtic sea salt, which is a great. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Celtic is, uh, Celtic is, it's, uh, it's low in metals. It's very high in minerals. It's easily accessible at most grocery stores. And that's a fantastic brand. You know, Red, you Redmond is a good one. I've got one called Kalima. That's a good brand to solve. Hey, I'm a total salt junkie. <laughs> Well, you say that about it being available in grocery stores. Grocery stores here are literally selling high sodium table salt. Oh, and they really? package them sometimes as low sodium, low sodium, but it's table salt. So, oh, oh, right. Yeah. See, because in the U.S., like Celtic salt, you, you could pretty much get it just like the average kind of crap grocery store has Celtic salt. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I always see on, um, on food blogs and health food blogs that it calls, in America, they call it kosher salt. Is that the same thing? Uh, no, kosher salt is... Uh, it, it's it's salt that that adheres to whatever the kosher standards are. Simply like a thick, coarse grind of salt. It's it's decent. It's not bad. It tends to be pretty clean. Right. Um, not as good or as high in minerals or as low in toxins as like a good like a like an unrefined Celtic salt, for example. Though. Right, because I'm Jewish and I never had a kosher salt here in the UK. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah we we um, we kind of have good access to Celtic salt, which is great. Yeah, and I don't know everything that makes a kosher salt kosher. You know, that <laughs> doesn't have bacon in it. Right. That's the metric that making in it. Um, yeah, and obviously for any um, of the kind of products that you just mentioned, I do, if anyone wants to check out, obviously Ben's website um, for information on that, or I have some UK-based ones on my website, so just head there. I have a question for you, because a friend of mine, I didn't make it to both days of the summit, so I only had the second part of your talk. Okay. A friend of mine who I was with <laughs> said that someone asked you the question, does your wife do all this stuff? <laughs> so I wanted, oh. I'd love you to give us the answer to that. Well, my answer in the session was basically, you know, that, no, you know, the shoemaker's wife wears no shoes. When I want my <laughs> wife to do something, I'll leave out a book for her, or have one of my doctor friends, you know, talk to her or something. So uh, basically, um, you know, my wife and I are kind of like yin and yang. She's very type B, uh, kind of flowy, creative, artistic. I'm a little bit more type A, you know, scheduled, uh, you know, organized, regimented. And a, a creature of habit and a creature of my schedule, and it's great because we complement each other's lifestyles. But she, um, she's very, she's very healthy, you know, genetically. You know, she's got the grandparents that live till they're, you know, over a hundred years old, and she comes from these kind of hard Montana U.S. rancher genes. Right. You know, kind of like lean and mean and tough, and they've lived through hard winters. And it's, she's just, she's kind of genetically equipped to have pretty good uh, cellular resilience. But you know, she, um. She takes a couple of supplements, like, you know, for her hormones. She uses uh, what I consider to be fantastic for just about any woman as they age, uh, transdermal progesterone and a little bit of oral DHEA. So she use progesterone and DHEA as supplements. Um, she plays a lot of tennis. We have a little farm with goats and chickens. So she's constantly out there, you know, digging in the garden and hauling alfalfa and chasing chickens and herding goats. And uh, she does some hiking. She's really into hot yoga. She'll do hot yoga like usually three or four times a week. Um, but she's also one of those people who she doesn't do it. She doesn't be, she, 
She's, she's not like, oh, I didn't do my yoga this week. She's just like, oh, I feel like doing yoga today. Like, that's kind of like more so of she's her. She's an intuitive Oh, to- totally intuitive. Like, yeah. Just how a human being stays healthy is what she's yeah. doing without kind of thinking too much Right, about it. exactly. Like, if you ask her, like, what's your diet? She's like, I don't know. I just kind of yeah. eat when I'm hungry and eat whatever looks good, you know? So, so yeah, she's she's a lot more loosey-goosey than I am. But she's healthy, you know, she, and she takes care of herself. She she was one of the top track athletes in Idaho. And, you know, I'm, when I met her, at University of Idaho, she was racing track and field, you know, very fast mile, very fast 800 meter. You know, she doesn't really run anymore, but uh, yeah, she's, she, she's healthy, you know, naturally. And she also, despite not being as regimented as me, you know, she, she does things, you know, actively and mindfully to make sure that she stays healthy. Yeah. So my husband's family are kind of the same, they're that, that robust, good genetics, like they're just really, those strong constitutions, nothing really can get to them. Whereas I'm the kind of MTHFR, everything's gonna like knock my immune system if I don't look after yeah, it. Kind yeah, of that's thing. funny. I'm the same way. I've got I, I, people listen to like the interview I did with uh, Mansoor Mohammed of the DNA company. You know, we, this was a while ago, probably like four years ago. Whoever my genetic results, he's like, dude, if you didn't do all the stuff that you do, right. he's like, you have so many dirty genes that you would feel pretty right. crap all the time, and. Uh, you know, it's interesting because you wonder, oh gosh, am I going to now think myself into an unhealthy situation because I feel that I'm genetically ill-equipped or am I going to use this to empower myself to make really positive choices that would allow me to be perhaps just as healthy or healthier than somebody who has better genes. And so, yeah, I, I don't look at, at, at genetic analyses like that that might give you unfavorable results as, as something that might produce a defeatist mentality. I think it's rather empowering because now I know how I can live longer, how I can be more impactful. Well, this is what I tell all my clients, and this is why I do a lot of um, genetics testing with my clients. Let's have the information, let's empower ourselves with it, and figure out kind of how to live our lives based on what our genes are telling us. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I learned that the hard way. I was obviously disabled for a very long time, not really understanding why all the things that weren't impacting or affecting other people were affecting me. Um, why? And what were you disabled with? So I was diagnosed with uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis just before my second birthday. Oh, wow. I was vaccine injured. Um, and it kind of started just after that. Um, so that was like a whole uh, journey. And then I, you know, it, it was very, my mom treated me with homeopathy um, from the outset, spiritual healing. We really went down the holistic route, but there were so many missing pieces. Yeah. So we didn't, you know, my parents are, we have a Mediterranean diet. My family is Israeli. We very much eat like that. But then there was Diet Coke on the table. Right. And, you know, cordials and squashes and, chocolates and the rest of it so it was there were lots of missing pieces that we didn't understand and it took for me to become an adult to fit those pieces together and when I got really sick and things were getting really bad in my late teens I was um told I needed to go on this chemo-based drug and I was like well I'm an adult I'm gonna do what I want and I did it it was the worst thing that ever happened to me but it was also the best thing that happened to me because it put me in this state of complete complete disability damaged my liver, I lost my hair, you name it, it did it to me. But it was from that that made me think, okay, this is 10 months on this drug. And the doctors are only saying to me, well, it works for 70% of people and it, for 30% of people it doesn't. And I was like, yeah. I think there's more to healthcare than statistics. I was 18 and yet somehow I just knew that, that there was more to why my body was reacting like this than just statistics. Yeah. And that's when I set out to kind of find the answers at 18. And so I had to be that sick, as sick as I got, to lead myself back to really wanting to find the answers. And 
looking into everything, like what we've just spoken about, epigenetics. Yeah, and that now I assume you, you probably follow a largely autoimmune diet and Absolutely. avoid the things that would, you know, the eggs and nightshades and dairy and seeds and nuts and soy and the like. Well, what I've, I've learned what works for me and what doesn't. So again, like I've been on all those things, like this is an anti-inflammatory diet and this is what you need to be on. And I've learned very much a follower of my intuition now. It's taken a long time to get to that and to know what my body needs and what it doesn't want. So it's a little bit more varied. It's a little bit more nuanced. Yeah. But generally, I mean, yeah, my diet's pretty great. Um, but it's, it, it might be different to what someone else might see as uh, being a great anti-inflammatory right. immune diet. Right. And that's just come through a lot of um, trial and error, really. But um, yeah, it took, took, a, took many years wow. to get to that point of kind of inner knowing and all the research and failing a lot. So I basically, when I set out at 18 really 19 and said right I'm going to do this it took me 10 years from that point to get into remission because there was so much to learn and also so much healing and detoxing to do yeah I had to detox from heavy metals from the chemo from I worked with amazing practitioners and you know homeopaths and herbalists and all sorts but at the end of the day something I always say is it's about coming back to knowing that we have to take responsibility for our own well-being take ownership yeah. of that and that was really where where the key was yeah. And knowing that someone else could have fixed me, I had to fix me. Wow, since two years old. That's a crazy story. Pretty crazy, yeah. <laughs> so let's go back to you. So we've spoken about kind of um, about your wife and all of that kind of stuff. How, how do you feel like you raise your kids differently? Because I know you do things in a way that others might feel a bit that's alternative or uh -huh. you know, not conventional. And how does that, because we've got a lot of mums listening to this, how does that work for you and how do you implement it? Because one of the things that I find challenging with me is that my, my kids aren't homeschooled. I want them to be. I've got a very big community of friends that homeschool. I'm running my business and I'm also the provider of all the health stuff. Like yeah. My husband's also running his business. Yeah. And it's pretty impossible. And we're trying, we're constantly trying to think of ways to make this work. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've accepted the fact that despite me having the heart of a teacher and I, I would love if I had my way to teach my children everything, you know, arithmetic and reading and writing and logic and computer programming and rhetoric, like, you know, I have a degree in education. I love to teach, but I don't have the time to do both that and, you know, run my, run you know, a couple of different relatively large businesses, you know, in addition to my travel schedule and everything else. And so um, I've accepted the fact that the two best things I can do for my sons is to manage the physical disciplines and the spiritual disciplines, right? So I lead them in, you know, in meditation and journaling and prayer and worship and devotions. And we go through certain books during the week and I lead them, you know, in kettlebells and ice bath training and heat training and, 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 and breath work and, uh, and, and anything related to, to the, the physical disciplines. Uh, and then everything else is really, it's kind of outsourced to a certain extent. You know, mom uh, does a lot with them very similar to me in the areas that she feels best equipped to teach them, primarily art, the creative arts, you know, crafting, sewing, crocheting, uh, painting, uh, you know, sketching, uh, and, and, and even like animal husbandry and gardening and, you know, a lot of things that she's doing at home, she's training them in that. And then everything else is kind of outsourced. You know, they have a math tutor who comes over to the house a couple of times a week and does math with them. And they have a, they have a Spanish instructor and they have a, you know, they go to jujitsu and they go to tennis and they have, uh, uh, you know, like a, a few online curriculums that they do for reading and, and we go through certain blocks. So when I say that, uh, the, the, the model that we use is called unschooling. 
Uh, and it's this concept of a little bit of a kind of like a, a loosely structured approach where you're simply paying close attention through dialogue with your children about what it is that their current passions and interests and desires are, and then trying to foster the, the, the development of skills related to those passions and also surround them with as many books and games and tutors and models and toys and documentaries as possible, and even excursions and traveling and adventures that allow them to study those things that they're really super duper interested in while still covering the basis for things they might not be interested in. Like my kids don't wake up begging to learn math, but I know it's a skill that will serve them well in the future. So I make sure that they do math. They probably wouldn't have chosen to study a foreign language like Spanish, but they know it's good for them. I know it's good for them to develop a language at an early age. And so we do certain things that they might not have expressed as their passions and interests and desires, but we weave those in anyways. But, but I mean, like 80% is just stuff they wake up just really wanting to do. And so the, the way that it looks is we have one person who works with us online who helps to kind of figure out what blocks, what parts of the year the kids are going to do, what it is that they're interested in. So right now they're in like a Bitcoin investing financial block where they'll get to start their first nonprofit. And mm-hmm. I'm opening a custodial account for them where they can you know, have a certain uh, structured stock and bond portfolio, some crypto exposure, a little bit of real estate exposure, some business development. And so that's something that will be like a three to four month block during you know this year, 2022. Um, you know, they're also right now very interested in building their cooking podcast and their, their YouTube cooking channel. And so there's typically, you know, three to four times a week, they're doing excursions to like bakeries to walk around and shadow the bakers or going to restaurants and doing stories with the chefs or planning out new meals in the kitchen. They're also preparing for to be mentors for their first wilderness survival experience where in the past they've gone to a little wilderness survival school where they learn a lot of survival tactics but this year they're going to be mentors in that same school and help other kids who are younger and so um you know it's kind of fun and uh and 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 a little bit unstructured at the same time so for me constantly as a parent i'm asking myself gosh are my kids getting the right education are they studying the right things are they gonna turn 18 and and be you know mad because dad didn't you know teach them more about I don't know what NFTs or the metaverse or or whatever else. So, so you're kind of because it, you're not outsourcing their entire education to a neatly packaged traditional schooling system, which I think is rife with failures. You know peer pressure and bullying and learning things you don't necessarily need to learn and outdated so standardized yeah rote yeah. memorization of facts you know, in an era of Google when we don't really need that. And so um, I, I think that yeah like going with a neatly tightly packaged uh, outsourced curriculum at a public or private school uh, can take a little stress off a parent, a little worry off a parent. The fact is, I think too many parents take that approach and then assume their child's learning everything that child needs to know at school, when in fact, there's so many elements of life that a kid still needs to learn. And there's so much experiential hands-on learning that doesn't take place at a school. And so our approach was, you know, when my kids were in fifth grade and going to, to, a, to a school like that, you know, private school, I sat them down and said, hey, look, you know, you guys don't need to go back to sixth grade. If you decide not to go back to sixth grade, dad will just basically take everything it is that you want to do, put together a curriculum for you, uh, surround you with the right resources to study what you want to study, support you in that, help to teach you. And they both, uh, you know, replied with the main worry that they weren't going to get to see their friends as much or engage in social life as much. And the fact is, with all their extracurriculars and you know, jumping at the trampoline park and going to jujitsu and 
playing tennis and going on museum excursions and you know, and, and, and even finishing school earlier than a lot of kids, so they have more time with their friends. They see their friends just as much, if not more, than they did when they were going to a, you know, to a, to a quote, normal, unquote, school. So that's kind of what we do from an educational standpoint. I think it's such a misconception that um, unschooled, homeschooled, home-educated kids are unsociable or don't socialize enough. From my experience of all my friends who are home-educating, they're always around different groups and the kids are socializing not just with the same people every day and also importantly not just with children they're, they're getting to know and be around and respond to different adults every day right exactly every they're day. not around people of their same age all day either they're right. learning how to navigate through life uh in, in a in a manner that gracefully teaches them how to interact with people from a wide variety of backgrounds you know in as non-judgmental way as possible so they're not all snooty and only want to hang out with the other 14-year-old kids. And I think that's important, too, is, you know, expose your kids to a wide variety of, of people of all ages and backgrounds and habits and let them see you interact with those same people. Like, we don't just hang out with, like, the fit people who are entrepreneurs running their own businesses, right? right. You hang out with the plumbers and you hang out with the accountants and you hang out with the, you know, people from church you might not normally otherwise hang out with. And, and you basically develop a human network that's based on the value of each individual human being as a sacred soul and not necessarily someone who might serve you transactionally or have the exact same interests as you. And I think that kind of cementing that into a child at an early age is important and helps them become somebody who's better equipped to just love more people. So, yeah, I mean, I just think it's really empowering to watch, for kids to watch parents be entrepreneurs and then start kind of implementing that into their own lives like what more could we want could we ask our children what are we actually sending them to school to do other than to kind of be empowered to do something like that so yeah I love that yeah and you know I'm writing a parenting book right now and and you know I, I have focused on me not being the only author of the book I've got like 30 other parents of, ch of children of a wide variety of ages parents of many different backgrounds everything from you know some of the most successful entrepreneurs and billionaires to you know, people who are just kind of living an ancestral life in the backwoods. Wow. And I'm basically collecting all this information. And it's interesting because you see repeated themes. You see, for example, a consequential-based discipline where rather than just engaging in capital punishment or hitting a kid's hand or spanking them for doing something, which, which may have its time and its place in extreme circumstances, you're instead just teaching a child about the natural consequences of any decision that they might make, whether it's, you know, eating gluten or watching porn or drinking alcohol or anything else yeah. and then allowing them to make the decision. So there's no bedtime in our house. There's no screen time rules. There's no food rules. We just do a really good job educating our children and then setting an example for them of the way that things should be, you know, like screen time, for example, you know, they, they have a phone. It wasn't a big deal. We just like got them a phone one day and said, Hey, if you need to make any phone calls, here's a phone for you. And, and, because mom and dad aren't obsessed over our phones, because the phone isn't like this, oh, this amazing thing that you have to own when you turn 16 to get a phone or whatever. It's just like another random tool in the house that's used for, you know, whatever, research or wayfinding or taking a photograph. But, you know, they're, they're not spending a disproportionately large amount of time on screens just because, you know, in our home, screens are used to create and to produce and occasionally to communicate. But it's really not like... The, the, the center of our household, you know, the TV is hidden away downstairs. We don't make a big deal out of the phones, you know, same thing with like alcohol, you know, pour a little wine and let them taste a little wine. And, you know, they're not going to grow up thinking that alcohol is some forbidden fruit and, you know, wind up getting drunk one day when they're 16 years old. So, so yeah, I'm constantly just making sure that 
I allow them to, to, to learn about the natural consequences, to be educated on the natural consequences, then I let them deal with, deal with the results as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and, and you see that, you see, you see this repeated theme a lot in many of the parents who I'm interviewing for this book. Another example would be like a lot of them have uh, really, really strong family traditions. Like here's what we do on Christmas, Here's what we're doing our vacations. Here we're doing, here's what we're doing when the kids are 12 years old, the rituals. 16 years old. Here's yeah, the family values, the rituals, the tradition, kind of a strong sense of legacy built in rather than just kind of having a loosey-goosey approach to everything that happens in the household. Um, many of them also carve out not only dedicated one-on-one time for each child, but dedicated one-on-one getaway time for the couples where every quarter the couples will go away to some place. Just so important. And plan out things and plan out, you know, What's going on with the family? Where do we want to live? What do we want to teach? What do we want to learn? How, how are each of the kids doing? How are you doing spiritually, physically, mentally? And my wife and I certainly carve out intentional times to do that. Um, and, uh, and then also like one-on-one dates with the kids too, you know, making sure that you get a kid off and away from their siblings because often the way they express themselves and the things that they talk about and the things that they open themselves up to are different than the type of things that they're going to focus on when they're with their siblings or with their peers. And so, yeah, it's, it's been really, really interesting and super refreshing and educational for me to work on this parenting book because I'm just learning so much about the way that amazing parents raise children who eventually grow up to be amazing human beings themselves. And it's called Boundless Parenting, right? Yeah, yeah, that's going to be the name of Boundless Parenting. It'll come out uh, in uh, hopefully about like November or December of 2020. What is it? 2022. Yeah. So this winter. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll definitely make sure to keep an eye out for it. Just quickly going back to kind of the health optimization stuff. Is there anyone that shouldn't be fasting, shouldn't be doing ice baths, shouldn't be doing saunas? Oh, I mean, theoretically, if you have like adrenal fatigue or you're a super duper low, chronically low heart rate variability score or a, a really weak nervous system and you need like a lot more just like easy walking in the sunshine and maybe some restorative yoga and a really, really nutrient dense diet, you know, a lot of calories kind of restore the body and adrenal reboot, so to speak. Most of these things are, are amazing for the human body and can be handled by just about anybody within moderation. I just think some people, you know, I, I know some people, you know, they'll reach out to me like, it's okay if I do two sauna sessions a day, you know, mostly like rich people with too much time on their hands who are just like, what else can I do to optimize my body? I'm like, well, you could, or you could go like, you know, volunteer at the soup kitchen or, or go, you know, mow somebody's lawn or do something nice for somebody. Like you don't have to optimize all day long. So, uh, you know, or, you know, the people want to do the 20 minute cold bath so that they just masochistically feel good about themselves versus the quick two or three minute cold soak, which is just as good. You know, I think people will sometimes get super obsessed about this stuff and take it too far and do too much of it. Or, they need to give their nervous system a little bit of a break, especially if they have, like I mentioned, some kind of adrenal fatigue. In that case, yeah, they might not be able to handle some of these hormetic stressors until they've restored their body back to a condition where it can handle stress. And if people can't afford a proper ice plunge bath, can they just do it in their bath with ice cubes? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, cold therapy has been shown to produce benefits even as low as 55 degrees Fahrenheit. My apologies, I don't have that in Celsius, but basically... Uh, you know, longer treatment times and a less cold temperature, like a five minute cold shower or shorter treatment times with a really cold temperature, like a two minute long ice bath. Um, you're still going to get the benefits of cold. I mean, cold lakes, rivers, oceans, ponds, cold showers, ice in the tub, like 
it, even just the ambient air, like going for a walk in the morning with you know not a whole lot of clothing on when it's a little chilly outside. You know, any of these things can be used for cold. There's you know you don't have to have the fancy cold tubs. Last I checked, our ancestors didn't have any ozone clean infrared <laughs> light infused UV uh, cold tubs. Yeah, but they also didn't spend as much time inside as we do and on screen. Yep. So I guess yep. we need to like use these hacks. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what a lot a lot of these a lot of these hacks and sorry about the background noise of the, the tree cutter up there, but a lot of these hacks they're used to basically fight against an evolutionary mismatch, right? We can't get a lot of sunshine, so we might use light panels, or we might not be able to drink water out of a spring, but we can put like a whole house structured water filter system in our house, or we might not be able to be outside barefoot or, or on the ground all the time but we can get a grounding or earthing mat. We might not have a job dedicated for manual labor, but we can you know, visit a gym and, and simulate that same type of hard work that our ancestors would have done. So yeah, a lot of these things we do to stay healthy, they are really kind of almost like fighting this evolutionary mismatch that we have to deal with living in this post-industrial era. So you mentioned obviously not having access to the sun. What's it been like for you being in the UK and seeing what our weather is oh, like <laughs> in nearly well, June? <laughs> I happen to be from a part of the United States that tends to have like a lot of rainy, dry, gray, dreary weather, uh, the, the, the inland Northwest. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty used to it. I'm one of those guys who's, you know, obviously we're walking right now in a, in the rain, you know, somewhat chilly out recording. And I'm one of those guys who just, I'd, I'd rather be outside in nature dancing in the rain than sitting inside running from the weather. Yeah. It's, I mean, this has been kind of a journey for me, my whole like an ancestral line, my dad's ancestral line, Moroccan. Moroccans have this fear of cold and my dad has raised me to fear the cold and it's been such a journey oh. getting into you know cold water therapy and just kind of going out the house without too many clothes on and, and my dad will be like why wrap up you know yeah. but, like, he's always tried, like trying to put more gonna get sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and then fantastically enough you know the cold therapy uh, is actually pretty good for a lot of arthritic type of symptoms you know, you'd think that the cold would cause the joints to become stiff but it seems to do a really good job like restoring blood flow and synovial fluid to joints and of course decreasing the inflammation that can contribute to arthritic symptoms as well so i think cold's fantastic and it's funny you say that because for me it was like when i would my my how i was raised to manage the illness was kind of with this mix of strength and kind of get up and go and you know you're going to be okay and you've just got to go and keep moving and also having this amazing nurturing mother who wanted to protect me and so every t at the beginning of my cold water journey it was like, oh, if my knees are inflamed on that day, I'm not going to do it. And then it became, no, that's exactly when you need to do it. And it's changing that mindset around yeah. these ways of being that we've kind of been raised or conditioned into being just based yeah. on fear. None of these decisions should be made of yeah. it. And the body's pretty good at making excuses too. You know, when yeah. you wake up and it's like, eh, I don't quite feel right. I think I should just do some easy stretching on the floor instead right. of going to the gym. Like sometimes you push through the first two minutes of some of these uncomfortable activities and you realize, your body was just being a little bit lazy, you know, and yeah, you want to be intuitive. You don't want to push through and overtrain yourself. But I think a lot of people, uh, they, they baby themselves a little bit too, too much. You have to understand like the body in its natural state kind of wants to be lazy, wants to conserve calories, wants to eat calorically rich food, you know, like ice cream. And you just have to be aware of that and, you know, kind of pass the marshmallow test, right? Like <laughs> delayed gratification for, for, for better health and, and feeling better. And I don't talk to many people who, like aren't happy that despite not really wanting to go to the gym or get into an ice bath or do a sauna session, having done one, don't yeah. feel absolutely amazing afterwards with a big smile on their face. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And that's the thing. Sometimes I go, 
I'll treat my, I'll treat myself to a hot shower, and then I don't feel good when I come uh -huh. out. Not a treat. Uh -huh. But just going back to treats, minute, because I have seen you say something about being consistent, but also being consistent with how was it you worded it? Indulgences or? Oh yeah, you know hedonism. You know, you know, and and what I mean by that is, yeah, I mean like I'm I'm constantly making healthy choices for both my body and for the planet, right? So for me, like a cheat day, I'm not going to go eat a bunch of like you know monocropped, you know, donuts fried in vegetable oil that's highly inflammatory and is going to remain in my body for 90 days, made with wheat from monocropped uh, uh, agriculture that's destroying the surface of the planet, um, you know, paired with just the fact that it's a low vibrating energy food that typically doesn't leave me feeling like, you know, like, like being a very impactful person, you know, but at the same time, like, you know, on a, on a quote cheat day, if that's what you want to call it, you know, I'll have just like, a giant ribeye steak and, you know, a nice glass of organic red wine and a, a, and a good bar of dark chocolate, you know, and maybe a little bit of sweet potato fries or carrot fries. And so I indulge in the good stuff. You know, I, I take time to, to, to dance and to play music and to sing and to enjoy all elements of God's creation. I think, you know, especially for me as a, as a Christian, a lot of people think that many Christians are like puritanical, you know, beating people over the head with the Bible, telling people, you, know, you got to live a certain way and, and, you know, they're almost kind of, kind of boring to a certain extent. Like I want to live and try to live just like a wild life full of seeking all the adventures that this planet has to offer, you know, bringing my family and my friends and my audience along for the ride, savoring all aspects of God's creation, being super curious about, oh, what's this new thing we can eat or what's this new exercise or what's this new adventure we can go on. And so, yeah, I think, you know, to a certain extent, you can live a regimented lifestyle, but at the same time, embrace spontaneity, embrace adventure, and embrace, you know, basically savoring creation, you know, in a, in a sense, you know, and, and you know, one of my favorite books in the, in the Bible, Ecclesiastes talks about this, you know, we really the very best thing we can do with our lives is to put our, our hands to work with all of our might to chop wood, to carry water, to do the hard work, and then at the very end of the day, to celebrate the blessings that result from that hard work, to, to eat, to drink, to be with family, to dance, to sing, to dream, and to engage in all aspects of what it means to be a truly sacred, spiritual, fully vibrating human being, right? And, and, and you know, it goes way beyond just like whatever, doing CrossFit and eating protein bars. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love that. I mean, it's uh, one of the questions I ask on my... Um, quick fire round is what do people most get wrong about you and someone well a few people have asked me that and it always comes down to people get wrong about me that i'm not fun so i don't think it's just uh -huh. black Christians, just generally people in wellness they might think that we're just yeah. really rigid yeah we're fun. funny duddies yep. my husband and i are like more extra than most people we know like we we explore we ex like we do so many different things that people other people might not do because we understand the fullness available yeah. in this life and also i think like Growing up being sick has been one of the biggest blessings because I'm so grateful every day. I there's not a morning I wake up and I'm not grateful for not being in pain. Yeah. You know? So I think that's really important as well, like an important part of my journey and giving me that access to gratitude that makes me want to really live life fully. Right, right. And let's say, you know, um, taking your family to the movie theater at night and disrupting your circadian rhythm and maybe even having a little bit of the popcorn. Yeah, that might suck, you know, 20 seconds off your life, but it's also going to create an amazing memory, right. an amazing time with the family. And so I think w within balance, uh, and especially if your choices are made through the light of loving other people and loving God and loving the planet, that you can, you can kind of engage in a somewhat hedonistic lifestyle 
while still also being a, a healthy and dependable and responsible person. I just want to end with this though before we do the okay. supplements. There are so many and I personally like to take a personalized approach to supplementation, but are there specific supplements yeah. that everyone should be taking? Oh my, like everybody I, I work with, especially people asking this question, you know, they get a genetic test, they get a stool test, they get a urine test, they get a blood test. You know, we look at, at their, their, their activity desires and their physical goals, which can sometimes not necessarily, you know, somebody who wants to race an Ironman triathlon, you know, they're probably going to have a slightly higher amount of carbohydrates and calories and perhaps some maltodextrin and fructose during their rides, you know, things that, that the average healthy person might not engage in, but because that person's chosen a physically challenging activity, you know, it's not just about the, the health of the, of the nutrition. It's about some other choices that need to be made. But that all being said, when it comes to supplementation, I think there's a few things that have proven or been proven over and over again in many scenarios to be healthy. A lot of people uh, don't get a nutrient-dense enough diet. They need some type of a good multivitamin mineral complex. So I think a, a well-formulated multivitamin, you know, there are companies like uh, Thorne is one that I like. They do a really good multivitamin. And then fish oil and creatine. Creatine for brain power, for muscle, for longevity. Fantastic. Fish oil for heart health. Both of those very safe, proven, well-researched supplements. So if you're going to start anywhere, I would say, you know, eat a naturally healthy diet as close to nature as possible and throw in some fish oil, throw in some creatine, throw in a good like multivitamin mineral complex. And that's, that's going to be a pretty good place to start if you're operating within a budget. Right. And what about in terms of detox? I know you're quite big on your detoxing. Would you recommend everyone does binders and some sort of detoxing quite often? Well, I, I don't live my life uh, with this idea that you kind of let a bunch of stuff build up in your body and then every January, you know, do a 30 day yeah. detox or whatever. You know, I jump up and down a trampoline every day. Like I mentioned, I sweat in a sauna, you know, three to five times a week. I do a, a coffee enema once a week. I'll take binders before I do that, that enema and follow it up with a sauna session. And I will, uh, you know, just basically constantly thinking about how can I move lymph fluid? How can I sweat? How can I excrete toxins through, through the stool, through the urine, through the sweat, through the breath? And so I think small daily choices that I let you naturally detoxify are better than, than, you know, doing some giant detoxification program because you let so many metals and, and toxins build up in your body. Yeah. Okay, so quick fire round. We've just gone completely the wrong way, so we're just really far from where we need to be, but never mind. Okay, so I always start with this one. Wellness is? Wellness is loving yourself, loving other people, loving God fully. Okay. Um, if you could have another career, what would it be? You could try something new, really. I, I, it's tough. I would, I'd either be a fiction author or I would be a singer-songwriter. Wow, okay. Um, a book that changed your life that everyone should read. Oh, there's many of them, but one that comes to mind that's pretty good is called Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. I think in our busy culture, more people should read a book like that. And okay. of course, you know, the Bible is probably the most formative book that I read and own daily. Uh, what makes you worried or scared and how do you manage fear? Uh, you know, the main thing I get worried about is if I'm prioritizing the right thing, making the right choices, doing the right things in my business or personally, because I have so many opportunities, you know, inevitably being someone who kind of lives my life in the limelight. And so I'm constantly asking myself that. And the way that I manage that is at the end of each day, I do a process called self-examination in which I close my eyes and play my whole day like a movie in my mind. And I ask myself, what good have I done? What could I have done better? 
But then one question that's really important and related to this is, uh, where was I most purpose-filled today? And by identifying those activities that really left me feeling like I was truly acting on my life's purpose, I'm able to prioritize and make decisions that engage in similar activities the next day. I love that. I love the self-examination. And just the very last one is, if your sons could take one thing from what you teach, what would you want it to be? How you live your days is how you live your life. How you live your days is how you live your life. The little choices that you make each day, whether it's how you're going to care for your spirit and your soul at the beginning of the day, whether you're going to exercise, what you're going to eat, who you're going to spend time with, what activities you're going to prioritize, how much time you're going to waste, you know, on say social media or how many minutes you might skip of practicing some skill, all that stuff adds up. So I always ask myself, if I lived this same day over and over again, what would it look like at the end of my life? And you ask yourself that question, you know, you, you, you're, you might be pleased or displeased with the answer, but constantly analyzing how you're living your day through the lens of that being how you're actually going to eventually wind up living your entire life, I think is, is, is the, the thing that comes to mind that I'd love for my children to have taken from me. Amazing. I, I know from the talk that you did, everyone stood up because everything you spoke about was, I know people use this word inspiring and it's kind of a bit generic, but it is the things you've spoken about ins- that you speak about inspire people to be better. So I just think that everyone will feel like this about this interview as well. So thank you so much. And now we're absolutely getting soaked. We're getting soaked, but we made it through. <laughs> we, we made it through half the podcast dry. Hey, I'm honored that you have me on. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, uh, I just, I love this, this city and parks like this. You go to walk, meet new people. So, so thanks for doing what you do and keep up the great work, Lauren. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. Now, don't forget, I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenbackneen.co.uk, as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate you. Reconditioned is proud to be working with Women for Women International, a charity that supports women survivors of war in eight war-torn countries around the world. You can help a woman survivor of war transform her life today by visiting womenforwomen.org.uk forward slash donate.